Okay, you're on the record. Okay. Now it's real. Hmm. <laughs> okay, the story begins. We're on chapter 37, page 416. I believe this is the longest chapter in the Tanya. It's definitely up there. A couple of weeks ago, you, you said very vehemently that it is the longest chapter. That it is? Okay. In that case, it is the longest chapter. <laughs> but look, things might have changed since then. No. <laughs> uh, it's, dyna- it's a dynamic chapter. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we're talking about how to carry out God's vision for humanity. What God's vision for humanity is, what he wants is to dwell with us. He wants to be comfortable in this world. He has charged us with the responsibility of bringing him in this world. When we engage in mitzvahs, we elevate the physicality of those mitzvahs. We took it to the next level last week and said when we engage, when we engage in mitzvahs, we not only elevate the physicality of the mitzvahs, we elevate ourselves, our animal souls, who, was, who were engaged in those mitzvahs. That applies not only to action mitzvahs, but even verbal mitzvahs. That we, because when we're verbally or behaviorally engaged in our Judaism, that means our animal soul is involved and is being elevated, whether it likes it or not. We took it to the next level and said, not only is the animal soul being elevated, but the animal soul's fuel required that, that, that it needs to perform that mitzvah gets elevated. The food that it ate, right? The food that it needed, the nutrients that it got in order to be able to physically perform the mitzvah, to physically articulate the words of prayer or Torah study. All of this has become elevated. Just with one mitzvah, we elevate so much. We elevate the physicality of the mitzvah. We elevate the physicality of our animal. We, we elevate our animal soul. We elevate the food that we ate that enables us to do the mitzvah. We elevate um, everything that, that, that gets dragged along with it, everything, because the mitzvah drags along so much with it. Right, like we said last week, just by studying Torah right now, the paper on our pages are being elevated. The sc- our screen is being elevated. The whole virtual world required for us to study right now is being elevated. Maybe this is why the cyberspace was created in the first place. Our phones, the factory that manufactures them, all of this stuff is elevated because all of this stuff is required to facilitate our study of Torah. <clears throat> Let's take a look on page 416 where it says, it's the second bold paragraph. And this global elevation will be complete when every neshama and divine soul in all of Israel will globally cause every animal soul to observe all the mitzvahs, thereby elevating the entire structure of Klippa, of Klippa's Noga. When we are engaged as individuals, we elevate our part of the world. When we are engaged, when, when everybody's engaged, when all of the Jews are engaged, essentially the whole world is going to be elevated. And we'll get more clarity on this soon. 
But before we get to that, to basically sum it up, we got to do mitzvahs and we got to refrain from averas, from transgressions, in order to bring God to this world. Um, if we scroll down, if we skip down to the bottom of 416, the, bo- the last bold paragraph on 416. There's two things we need to do. It, um, just just before we, just before, up oh, you're back. There you go. <laughs> okay. So there's 613 mitzvahs, and they're divided into two. 365 don'ts, 248 do's. Um, that's how they're divided. So let's take a look on the bottom of 416. Each individual soul must observe all 613 mitzvahs of the Torah in order to bring this revelation down to the world, including, so he, he breaks it up. He starts expl- elaborating on the 365 negatives, and then he'll talk about the 248 positives, including the 365 prohibitions. What happens when we refrain from a prohibition? So again, this is part of the paradigm shift that Tanya uh, gives us. A prohibition is more than just, you're going to get God angry, (laughs) right? Don't do that. Otherwise, a lightning bolt is going to go, you're going to get struck by the lightning bolt, right? A prohibition is much more than that. There's so much more significance. There's so much more depth. Because there's a whole, there's a deeper uh, reality that we don't see. Here's what he says. In order to keep the bodies, 365 major blood vessels, where the energizing animal soul is found from being nourished by one of these sins. So the 365 negative commandments, the 365 don'ts, correspond to the veins and sinews that a person has. There are 365 of them. And when we refrain from a sin, we're essentially refraining from receiving energy from klipa. We're cutting off a negative energy supply. Right? Spiritual plumbing. We want we need water from the correct from the right source. Right? We need nutrients from the right source. And when one, God forbid, sins. They're being nourished, they're getting energy, and it's from the wrong source, it's from an inappropriate source, a source from which they're supposed to refrain from. Um, it, that's not what we want feeding us, right? We want God feeding us um, and, and, and nothing else. Um, from being so, let's take in order to keep the bodies all the way to the bottom, the body's 365 major blood vessels where the energizing animal soul spine from being nourished by one of these sins, which would cause them to receive energy from top of 417, any of the three com, uh, completely impure clippers. So, when one, God forbid, or if one were to God forbid sin, they're receiving negative energy. When we refrain from a sin, we're preventing ourselves from tapping into something we don't really want to tap into. In other words, just like mitzvahs 
bring divinity and light into the world. Prohibitions, transgressing prohibitions, hide that divine light and feed into that energy, klipa. Klipa means that shell that essentially is hiding God and further hides God. That's not what we want our animal soul to experience. We don't want to desensitize our animal soul. We want to sensitize it. The more we sin, the more we desensitize it because the more we feed it klipa, the more we thicken the shell, if you will, right? Thicken the peel. But the more we refrain from prohibition, the more we um, <clears throat> we preserve our purity. Prohibition means a prohibition that's going to add to, uh, that's going to further hide God and isolate the divine soul and desensitize the animal soul. Prohibition means any of the 365 biblical prohibitions, as well as the rabbinic derivatives. Now, what happens were one to engage in a prohibition? Let's take a look on 417, the second bold paragraph. Once the energizing animal soul in the blood is contaminated by one of the three impure clippers, it cannot be elevated. Since, unlike the per permitted pleasures of clippers, Noga, the three completely impure clippers can never be elevated. Rather, they must be eradicated. Right? Our relationship with clippa is not elevation, but eradication. So, for example, um, we mentioned this earlier in a few lessons ago. We cannot take pork and say, well, it's going to give me energy to pray. If I eat that pork, it's going to give me energy to pray. It's worth it. God wants me to pray, right? It doesn't work. It does not work. The reason why it doesn't work is because it's from this level of klipa that can only be eradicated. And that level of clipper that can only be eradicated, not elevated, that's not what we want to get our sustenance from. And that, that's just an example. There's so many examples that we can think of. But um, on a halachic level, from a Jewish law perspective, and the halachic dynamic and the spiritual dynamic that we're exploring are very much correlated and they go hand in hand. Halachically, a mitzvah cannot be done through sin. It doesn't work, right? A person can't use stolen tefillin. He hasn't fulfilled his obligation. He hasn't fulfilled the mitzvah. And the reason is because it, once they're stolen, it's prohibited and it's klipa. They can't be elevated. It can only be rejected. He says here, it cannot be elevated for all time forever. That's not 100% accurate, though. There are two situations when this level of klipa, even uh, if it's totally and um, explicitly prohibited, there are two situations where it can be elevated. Anybody know what they are? I'll give you a hint. We mentioned it in chapter seven, <laughs> many, many weeks ago, <laughs> probably two years ago. <laughs> is, it, is it when it's gonna save your life? Okay, in that case, three examples. <laughs> I don't remember chapter seven. What, which one was chapter oh, but seven? But that, that, that is true, though. If it's, if it's life-threatening, you, you can, it can be elevated. You can't, you know, you're obligated and permitted to have it. Yeah. Uh, um, 
another you, example but yeah i was gonna say can you hint at what chapter seven was i can't remember i can't remember exact chapter <laughs> <laughs> all right let you know what let's turn to the page let's turn to page 97 we'll take a look at it Um, he's in on page 97, right in the middle where it says section two, forbidden pleasures. He gives two examples. He gives the example of, of forbidden food. He gives the example of forbidden intimacy. Um, both of these are just examples, but it generalizes to all biblical and rabbinic prohibition. This temporary absorption into negative forces it's right, is not the case, however, with forbidden foods and forbidden sexual relations, whose energy is from the three complete impure clippers. Their energy remains permanently tied and bound by the negative forces, right, and will not ascend from there, as we were saying in our chapter, but here's the exception. Next bold paragraph. Until their day comes, and the death will be swallowed forever. As the verse says, I will remove the spirit of impurity from the earth. So until the coming of Mashiach, when we bring Mashiach to this world, in that era, all negativity, all impurity will be removed from the world. In other words, it's not our job to elevate total klipa and impurity. That's God's job. So that's exception number one, right? We're God to bid, forbid one, two, eat something non-kosher or let's say violate or, or whatever it is any prohibition we could think of right we'll leave it to our imagination thank god our imaginations are good when it comes to this stuff um <laughs> okay so when it comes to one of these prohibitions we can't elevate it, but God could. And that's when Mashiach comes because all negativity is going to be gone. But here's another example of when it can be elevated by us. There's one exception. Page 98 on the top. Or until the person carries out such a profound repentance that, as quoting from the Talmud, his intentional sins become like merits for him. Literally. The Talmud says that if a person reaches a certain level of teshuva, he could transform his entire past, his entire negative past into positivity. His sins become merits. Ooh. And this is referred to as, in the middle of the page in the bold, 98, this is achieved through repentance out of love, teshuva from love. There's different levels of teshuva, different levels of repentance, of returning to God. Right? What motivates me to want to connect to God? If what motivates me to want to connect to God is fear, right? I might not get my reward or, or whatever it is. And that's enough teshuva for God to forgive us, but it's not enough teshuva to transform our, to completely transform our past. To completely transform our past, we need a teshuva from love. A teshuva where, as described in this chapter, in chapter seven, you know, sometimes we, I'll, gi I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll t I'll give, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you two examples. 
One example that immediately comes to mind is a friend that I um, am in touch with who is sitting, unfortunately, in isolation in Montana. And it's not because of COVID. <laughs> um, he got in trouble with the law. I don't know if he was guilty or not, but he was tried guilty, charged guilty, uh, did something that he shouldn't have. And we talk periodically. And he is, he's in prison. He's in such a good place. He's in such a good place. He says that prison turned his life around. And not because they're good at what they do in the prisons. <laughs> it's because he's good. He, you know, he, he chose it. He hit rock bottom. When you hit rock bottom, there's two things you can do. You can either splat or you can come back up. He decided not to splat. <laughs> he's coming back up. And prison reoriented his life, made him believe in himself. It was a reset. There's times where we are just so appalled by our negative by our negativity it forces us to turn around sometimes right when we're or most thirsty is when we're when we're most dehydrated when do we most appreciate the water when we're most dehydrated when do we really want god when we when we feel most distant from him and this is called teshuva from love and it literally transforms the past a couple of years ago when I was living in Crown Heights, the Hasidic tradition is that the men go to the mikveh every morning before davening as part of a preparation for davening to ritually prepare ourselves to pray, to talk to God. It's an age-old Hasidic tradition. Many say that it's founded, has halachic foundings as, as well. Um, so I'm at the mikveh. And there's this elderly, not elderly, um, relatively young, actually, gentleman, probably in his 50s or 60s, young 60s, maybe mid-50s. And he looks like a rabbi of big white beard, you know, the white shirt and the black jack coat. And he rolls up his sleeve and his arm is covered in tattoos. Something you wouldn't expect from such a person. Um, given that the Torah explicitly prohibits tattoos. He, um, and here's what his story, this guy's been around the block several times. <laughs> he finally found himself um, after circulating this block many times. Um, he attributes guidance, personal guidance and attention that he received to the Lubav from the Lubavitcher Rebbe that inspired him to get back on track. Um, but this guy has covered in tattoos and here's what he said. He said he was out once and he encountered a fellow Jew somewhere in the street. And he says to the fellow Jew, would, would you like to put on tefillin? I have my tefillin here, right? These are one of these Chabad guys. Let's put on tefillin. He says, no, thank you. He says, come on, let's do it. No, no, I'm, I'm okay. Why not? So he says, to be honest, I have tattoos and I'm uncomfortable rolling up my sleeve in front of you. You know, he, he saw he was a rabbi. He was a little intimidated. So I'm not so comfortable rolling up my sleeves. So the rabbi says, I'll make you a deal. 
if my tattoos are larger than yours, will you put on the tefillin? <laughs> he says, yeah, right. And I says, no, no, I'm serious. He says, okay, fine. You know, he doesn't believe him. The guy rolls up his sleeves. The other guy says, okay, where's the tefillin? <laughs> Puts on tefillin. This guy elevated his tattoos. Nobody can elevate tattoos. You can't put on tattoos in order to get a Jew to put on tefillin, <laughs> right? You can't because that's a sin in order to do a mitzvah and it doesn't work. But he already had the tattoos. So now as a process of teshuvah, in hindsight, that passion, that love he has, he's, he's actually able to elevate something that most people cannot. That is... Um, irregular circumstances though, but in regular circumstances, these deep levels of klipa cannot be elevated. In hindsight, so if it's an extenuating circumstance to save a life, you know, it's being elevated, if it, or it can be elevated. Um, in hindsight, it can be elevated when Mashiach comes, it can be elevated also through teshuva, through the right level of teshuva, teshuva with love as opposed to just Teshuvah from awe, reverence, or fear. Um, but in a normal circumstance, it cannot be elevated. And we, want, we don't want to tap into that supply. We don't want that new, uh, uh, nurturing our lives. Because as it nurtures our lives, it literally sensitizes ourselves, uh, us. The commentaries on the Torah point out something interesting. The prohibition of milk and meat together is mentioned in the Torah in a to total of three times. It says it three times throughout the Torah. And there's halachic significance to that. But the commentaries point out something else. Next to each time that it mentions the, the, the prohibition of milk and meat, it's scattered throughout the Torah. I believe it's, it's once in Exodus, I believe twice in Deuteronomy. Or maybe twice in Exodus and once in Deuteronomy. I don't remember. Um, erase that from the record. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and next to each, around, juxtaposed to each time that it mentions the prohibition of milk and meat, there's also mention of the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. And they seem indirectly related. They don't seem necessarily re related. It just happens to mention a mitzvah connected with the Beit HaMikdash. What's the connection though? Commentaries point out at the base of Mikdash, to serve in the base of Mikdash, you need joy, right? And joy comes through inner sensitivity. But milk and meat desensitizes us. So that's why they're juxtaposed. They don't have milk and meat so we can be sensitized to serve in the base of Mikdash with joy. The reason why I mention this is because prohibitions spiritually desensitize us. Unless we do a serious level of teshuvah, or when Mashiach comes, when, when that klepa, that outer shell will crack and will, will, will disintegrate, if you will. But until then, we want to refrain from desensitizing ourselves, from desensitizing the world, from contributing to darkness. Okay, enough with the negativity. We also have to bring goodness into the world, right? Okay. Let's take a look on page 417. Um, the last bold paragraph. Back on our chapter, 417, last bold paragraph. And in addition to refraining from the prohibitions, 
every soul must observe the 248 positive mitzvahs, which have the spiritual effect of pulling the blessed infinite light downwards into this world. And they also have the effect of elevating the person, connecting and merging the whole structure of the energizing animal soul found in the 248 limbs of the body to merge completely with the blessed infinite light. So when we do mitzvahs, when we refrain from sin, we prevent ourselves from connecting to negativity, from whatever hides God. But when we do mitzvahs, the opposite happens. We actually bring God into our world. And our 248 limbs correspond to the 248 mitzvahs. By doing all the mitzvahs, we elevate our, all of our limbs. I mean, what, we, what, are, what are the limbs? I mean, I think of arms and legs as limbs. How are there 248 of them? Good question. Okay, the, the truth is a, a better translation would probably be organs. Um, here we translate, other places translated as organs. It, it just depends on how you translate the Hebrew. But there, um, there are 248 organs of the body corresponding to the 248 positive, uh, positive mitzvahs. Make sense? Ish. Now, <laughs> there, now there might be more or less scientifically, but but halachically, what halacha has definitions for limbs, also for, for organs as well. What's considered an organ halachically? So there's 248 uh, of them. Maybe I think I've heard this before. I thought it said bones or or um, or ligaments or. So there, okay, that could be also as well. Um, it's brought down that the Shema right, has 248 words corresponding to the 248 bones and ligaments. I, I, I think it boils down to translation and semantics. Um, the literal translation, the Hebrew word is evar, which means a limb. Does, it, does each of the mitzvahs correspond to a specific organ or is it all together? No, yeah, each mitzvah corresponds to a specific organ. Correct. So if you've got problems with a specific organ, you can do that mitzvah and then you can doubly fix it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, there's okay. something to that. Sometimes our, our body needs a little more soul. Otherwise, it feels a little weak. Okay. There is so, something to that. Question, you, if by observing the 365 <laughs> negative mitzvahs by not doing them, you're not... You're not really um, elevating yourself like you are with a positive mitzvah. Is that right? You're just staying pure? Okay, good question. That's a very good question. That's what he writes in the Tanya. In, in the, author's, the author has another work um, called, called Torah Or. Torah Or is a collection of his discourses on the Torah portion. And he actually discusses this very concept. And over there, he actually mentions that um, a negative mitzvah actually does pull down light actively, even greater than a positive mitzvah would. And the reason is because the light is so great, the only way you can receive it is by not doing anything, by getting out of the way, by doing by not by specifically not doing something because an action does have a limitation creates a box that we're trying to pull God into 
That make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes in a relationship, um, what you do for your partner can be so valuable, but sometimes what you refrain from doing not only prevents them from getting annoyed, but is actually much more meaningful. Can be very deep and very meaningful. Um, so there isn't, it's a good question, if there is an element um, of, of holiness and perhaps to an even greater degree that can't be contained in behavior, that can't be contained by something physical, the only way to bring it down is by not doing something. So it comes out that it comes, it comes down to two things. Um, you know, when, when you want to build, when you want to invite a king to your home, which is essentially what we're doing. We want to make this world a home for God. So number one, you got to clean up the home. Number two, you got to make it nice, right? Mm-hmm. A sin that pre- prevent, re- refraining from sins, clean up the home. It also makes it nice, but it's not a it's not a noticeable beauty. Like we were saying, it does bring down holiness, but not in a not in the same noticeable way. It's a much lofty, le- uh, lo- much more lofty level that can't be contained through action. But then there's actually beautifying it, bringing in nice furniture, right? Doing the mitzvahs, bringing in the light. I think sometimes it's probably easier to do the positive ones instead of refraining from the negative ones. Right, right, uh, that's true, that's true. Doing something is, you know, you just do it. To refrain, to stop a habit that you're used to, um, or that that's particularly inconvenient can be very, it, it's difficult, it is difficult, it really is. It depends on the mitzvah. Yeah, it also depends on the person. Everybody's gonna, you know, everybody has their their personal yitzer hara, their inclination pulling them. Yeah. You know, but but the in general the the Chabad approach and particularly the Rebbe's approach was the way you get the way we stop sinning. The way we get is actually through mitzvahs. If you're actively doing a mitzvah, you can't be sinning. So I'll, I'll yeah. give you an example. There's this, uh, what, sorry, you're about to say something? I was going to say, it's, is that kind of like the, uh, in Perkyakos, it says one mitzvah brings about another mitzvah? Yeah, and but but it's even more than that. It, it's, you know, it's like what the Kutzker Rebbe used to say. He doesn't blame people for sinning. He blames, <laughs> for wanting to sin, he blames people for having the time to sin. Um, the devil finds work for idle hands. <laughs> yes, right. right. So, so I was listening to this child um, educational therapist, um, guy from a Jewish community in New Jersey, from Lakewood, New Jersey. And he said something brilliant. He says, a teacher calls him and says, there's a kid in my class, a young elementary student who is just not behaving calling out, spacing out, spitballs, I don't know, the whole nine yard, you know, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing. 
So the teacher says, I keep telling him to stop and it doesn't work. What do you recommend? So the psychologist, the therapist said, here's what you need to do. You're focusing on what he shouldn't be doing. And that's an uphill battle. He wants to do it. <laughs> Focus on what he should be doing. If he should be focusing in class, reading his material or, or whatever it is. So now he's not able to throw spitball, to, to make spitballs and start calling out and messing around in class, clowning around in class, because he's busy doing what he's supposed to be doing. It's a shift in focus on what we should be doing. Now I'm not able to do what I shouldn't be doing. Okay. Um, like we said earlier in Tanya, a little bit of light spells a lot of darkness. Fighting the darkness is exhausting. Um, it really is. But not allowing it opportunity is a um, definitely sound advice. But but the point, so our, our point here is just to sum up where we've gotten to so far. Refraining from sin, number one, makes sure that we don't get fed negativity and desensitized. It also brings down a higher level of light that can't be contained through action. Doing mitzvahs also brings down light. It also practically makes sure that we can't be sinning if we're doing mitzvahs. And this contributes to, make, to beautifying God's world. But let's take a look on page 418 in the middle. The middle of the page, the middle bold pair, it's the second bold paragraph. It's the middle of the page, right under where it says 25th Adar. And when the whole structure of the energizing animal soul in all of Israel will become a chariot for God, then the whole energy structure of this world, which is currently from Klippas Noga, will leave its impurity and filth and be elevated to holiness, becoming a chariot to God. When the Jews as a whole, we are all one after all, when the Jews as a whole elevate their animal souls to the extent that they're able, this has a global impact on the world. This is incredible. This is an incredible statement. This literally brings Mashiach. This literally ushers in the Messianic era. Again, what is the Messianic era? God dwelling in this world. So when we elevate our animal souls, each of us individuals, Really, we're all elevating our animal souls because we're all one. Mm. This has a global impact. This literally brings Mashiach. So, so can I ask you something? You know the um the the ones where the the negative ones where you, um the food and the thing that cannot be elevated. Mm -hmm. But if the person does teshuvah and like hits rock bottom and reconstitutes himself or refinds himself, finds his soul. And mm -hmm. becomes more Jewish, then, um, then I mean that's more of a like um, I don't know, that that helps towards getting the Mashiach here. Yeah? yeah, yeah. If correct. they understand it, they get insight and they get knowledge, and they because they can't fix it because it's not forgiven. But if well, they, it like, is forgiven. If, if 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 they've done like what you've described, that not only are they forgiven, they've transformed it. It became a good, it became a good thing. 
because instead yeah. of it being a stumbling block, it became a stepping stone. It motivated the relationship. And then they could be an example for others to be better people. So, exactly. And then, and then you know, the Sheikh will come. So I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when my, my father served as a juvenile court judge for about 10 years, and he was known as a very strict judge. They used to threaten the kids in, juven, in juvenile camp, in juvenile hall. If they're misbehaving, they're going to send them to Zeberman. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and the reason why he was strict is because he had high expectations. It wasn't retaliation. He had very high expectations. And years later, about 10 years later, this happened more than once, by the way, this story. This happened numerous times. My father gets an email from somebody he doesn't recognize saying, Hi, Judge Zeberman. My name is so-and-so. I'm sure I don't think you'll remember me. I was in your courtroom. And I was in a very bad place in my life. And to be honest, he said, I hated your guts. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember the exact letter. He said, you were very strict and I hated you. Because you were just, I thought you were out to get me. But for the first time in my life, I had structure. For the first time in my life, I had to accomplish something. For the first time in my life, somebody believed in me and I believed in me. Now, he says, I'm off drugs. I have a college degree. I have a career and I have a family. So he says, number one, I'd like to just thank you. This is what the email is. And this happened more than once. He says, number one, I'd like to thank you. Number two, I would like to please have the opportunity to come to juvenile hall to talk to juvenile delinquents that are delinquents that are currently in the system that need an energy boost, that need some inspiration. This kid's past, because he's using it to inspire others, became holy. It literally became holy. Without that experience, he wouldn't be able to inspire other people, right? Without the raging floods of Noah, the ship never would have floated up. <laughs> Without the negativity, right? Sometimes things which start off as a stumbling block can become a stepping stone. And, and like you're saying, Sharon, that is definitely um, instrumental in bringing God's presence to this world and elevating the world and bringing the Mashiach. Definitely. Without question. Essentially, our mitzvahs, our behavior as Jewish people have a global impact beyond what our eyes are going to tell us. It's not just reward and punishment. It's not just sentimental um, culture. There's literally a global impact by our actions that our actions have. That's why Maimonides writes in his Jewish code of law that we have to look at the world as a scale. Half good, half bad. Because that's literally what it is. Our actions have an incredible global impact and can make God more comfortable in this world and usher in the Mashiach. Or it can make God, God forbid, less comfortable in this world. And the reason why we have a global impact is because this is essentially why the world was created. Take a look on page 420. 
page 420, it's the second, um, the second bold paragraph, right under where it says the 18th of Adar. Because the overall structure of the souls of Israel, which consists of 600,000 core soul units, and we'll talk more about that later next week, but the souls of the Jewish people represent the fundamental spiritual energy of the world. And the reason is because which was created for their sake. Because the world was created for our mission in elevating it. Our mission in transforming it. I'll tell you a great story. At a Fabrengen Hasidic gathering, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was, was talking about this very concept. The global impact that we have as Jews because the world was created for us to elevate it us to transform it which means what we do is instrumental to the world not just to ourselves it's not just about personal development and um but there's literally a global impact and when we do a mitzvah we can really transform so this is what the rebbe was talking about at his for and on shabbos not too long after there was an individual who was at that for who had a private meeting with the rebbe one-on-one meeting scheduled and he had a difficulty understanding this idea. And here's, was, here's what his exception was. He said, Rebbe, you have bil- a, a billion, I think, I don't know the numbers, but you have millions and millions of people in China. He was just throwing out a random country. You have millions and millions of people in China that don't even know about Judaism, that don't even know about this mission of transforming the world. How could a couple of Jews in Brooklyn in the United States and Israel or wherever we may be transform the whole world through our actions. How is that even possible? This was his question to the Rebbe. The Rebbe's answer was brilliant. You're gonna love it. The Rebbe told him, the answer is on the tag on your coat. He didn't know what the Rebbe was talking about. The answer to your question, how can you have an impact in China? Is on the tag of your coat. He looks at the tag of its coat, it says made in China. His coat was instrumental in helping him serve God, brought him to synagogue, brought him to Torah study, it sustained him. His coat was made in China. Every little thing has a global impact. I, I was almost going to say, I was, I was trying to guess what it might be. I was saying, well, every now and then you see something that comes out of China food-wise that has an OU on it or... Right. And this also explains why I have such an obsession with Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's genetic among, among Jews, I think. That's a Jewish thing, huh? Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> it's, it's in the genes. It's in the genes, it is. Sharon, you're in L.A. You, you, you can get some good Chinese food there. Yeah, I, just, I, don't even know, I don't even know where I am in L.A. I'm in a hotel. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I am, so I don't know if there's Chinese food somewhere. I'm sure it's doing well. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get them to deliver to you. Anyway, yeah. this is the story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. So we'll go after uh, it. What, if anybody has any questions, comments, controversy, 